Welcome to the Brookie and Burjo podcast. Welcome, Darren Burgess. G'day, Brookie. Uh, that was uh, yet another version of You'll Never Walk Alone. Our regular listeners know we play a different version of You'll Never Walk Alone every week. That was uh, that was the choice of our, our guest this week. That was John Farnham, who is singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Everyone has had a crack at it. He didn't actually record it, but uh, that was from a concert, one of the Carols by Candlelight concerts at the Sydney Maya Music Bowl in Melbourne back in 2012. Wow. And uh, that was the request of, uh, of our guest, who maybe you'd like to introduce, Darren. Yeah, it's a, it's a great pleasure to have uh, have Travis Boak uh, on the podcast today. Uh, for those who are listening perhaps internationally and, and not aware of who Travis is, um, Travis is a, a highly successful AFL player. Um, he was drafted in uh, 2006, moved um, in 2007. He's played, uh, I think it's about 276 games. Have I got that right, Boki? You got it right, mate. Something like yep. that anyway. Uh, 276 games. He's represented uh, both Victoria and Australia. He's been in the All-Australian team a couple of times, uh, two best and fairest, amongst many other um, many other plaudits to come his way. So welcome, Bokey, to the, uh, the Berger and Brookie podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So, uh, Trav, one of the things that we like to do on this this podcast most of the, the uh, listeners uh, although there's some players that are uh, that are listening in but a lot of uh, listeners are the performance staff so we're going to ask you a few questions about that and and, uh, and a few other questions about your career um, first one mate um, about what age in your career did you sort of realize that um, looking after your body in away from the club, um, and and from what you know, people like me have instructed you to do um, would would improve your performance and was was beneficial to you because um, it probably wasn't the case early on. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, no, no spot on, mate. I think um, you know, as athletes, we mature and and learn uh, at different stages. And I think you know, I've always probably had in me that I've always wanted to to compete and wanted to be the best I can be. But I think understanding what that actually takes. Uh, took a little while, and um, no matter what sport you go into, there's little traps of um, whether it's you know partying or alcohol or um, you know girls, things like that that um, you know you can fall into. But I think it's understanding that as as an athlete, and um, it probably wasn't something that I understood early on in my career. So coming into play at 18, uh, and and really just I think you just go out there and play footy, um, and I think that. As a as a eighteen year old, you can you can play footy and then have a drink on the weekend and back it up. You're sort of fine. Um, and it wasn't until it would have would have been about four or five years in uh, that I really understood that uh, if I wanted to go to to the top level of being an elite athlete, that uh, recovery, nutrition, uh, sleep, uh, you know, all these sorts of things come in to to make a massive impact on your game. And um, you know, that's when I wanted to learn everything about. Uh, you know, preparation and, and, and recovery and, and all that to, to take my game to another level. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, working hard. There was so much more away from, from the game that I needed to know uh, to make myself the best player, uh, best version, you know, of footballer I could be. And, uh, you know, those things really started to open up when I was probably, uh, you know, when I took over the captaincy almost, which was around 24, 25. So that's, you know, four or five years in, six years into my career. And once I understood uh, a lot more of that, my my taste for it, you know, became even more. And I just wanted to, to learn and understand more and more of what I can put into my body and what what I can get out of my body through different methods of, of um, you know, preparation and, uh, you know, different methods of training as well. What would you say um, would be uh, probably not the biggest, um, but but perhaps give us two or three examples of, of what what we're talking about there, which might not be you know in the traditional form that most um, you know most like myself and Brookie would say you know just get more sleep and um, have better nutrition and and work on the basics. But you've probably taken it above and beyond a little bit, um, and perhaps. Um, uh, taken some non-traditional, if I can call it that, um, training philosophies into your more traditional sort of field-based sport. 
Um, give us a, a, an example or two of, of things that you've picked up along the way and added to your routine other than the, um, you know, than the excellent sleep and nutrition practices that you've got. Yeah, well, I think, the, I mean, physically, the, the one thing, and I remember you coming in when you come back from, uh, from Liverpool, mate, was the, the first thing you said to our group uh, during our 2013, before we're going into pre-season, was um, as AFL players, we, you know, we train at a pretty high level, but there was so much more that we could actually do and get out of our bodies, and, and that was a real eye-opener for me. So, um, you know, physically, I, I understood that, okay, there's more that I can explore here um, and that's when I started to uh, went overseas and, and, and wanted to, to train different methods to, to get more out of my body. You know, generally as AFL players, we uh, you know our preseason consists of a lot of running and a lot of weights and a lot of skills, and, and you know that's that's great for our game. Um, but but I wanted to to get that extra you know one or two percent to to put into into my game to take my level to to all, you know to that elite level of where I wanted to be at and. Um, you know, some training methods that I added in were, you know, really un- to understand my body um, and, and how it moves more efficiently. Uh, so there was some running technique stuff that, that I really wanted to, to delve into. Um, you know, some training with Austin over in, in Santa Cruz, which I, I've done for, for three years now. It was, it was all about, um, you know, body mechanics and understanding how I can move more efficiently uh, and, you know, it's still the same sort of stuff that you do in the training session, whether it's lifting weights or running, but it's doing it more efficient, yep. uh, efficiently. So that was something physically that I that I really wanted to, to delve into. But I think that the biggest change and, uh, you know, most athletes, the best athletes in the world are, are probably the ones that are able to control their mind the best. And uh, I think that's something that I've really got into probably over the last three years of, of um, you know, training my mind a lot more. And that's, you know, that's around, um, you know, letting go of control a little bit uh, was, is probably one big thing. Uh, you know, we all want certain outcomes. I, I, I want to be the best I can be. You know, I want to play well game day. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is out of your control and it comes back to preparation. You know, what can you do during the week to prepare yourself to go out on game day and just and be free and, and, and go for it? And that's something that I've, um, you know, that I've really put into my training and, and preparation is training the mind to... To let go of that and, and go out there and, and just trust the process of what I've done during the week, um, you know, and, and what leads into that is my breathing. I, I focus a lot on my breathing now uh, to stay centered, to stay in a, in a flow state, basically we call it, and um, you know that allows me to, to be present whenever I'm training, whenever whenever I'm uh, in a game, then I, I start to stress or you know there's a, a, a big moment coming up that you know when I focus on my breathing, I can I can bring myself back to the present moment. So. That's probably been a, a massive one for me is, is, and putting into my training is, is my breathing and, and meditation that's allowed me to, to stay more centred and, and more in the moment to, to process things as they, as they come in a, in a game of footy or, or a training session. It um, sounds like you've come a long way since I tried to get 45 blokes in the uh, lecture theatre to meditate in about 2014, I think it was. <laughs> yes. What... Um, what was the uh, was there an event or a moment or a piece of advice from you know someone like Maccas or someone overseas that that um, sort of uh, highlighted the importance of the mind on on because there's one thing to sort of say yep I know I've done all the training I know I'm ready to play this game I know I'm ready to take on this season that's one thing but to really uh, take it to another level like you have um, was there any kind of um, you know, event that that's, that uh, started all of that. Oh, I can only I can picture um, you know when it first the, the change first sort of started when I went from you know just being a, a footballer to to wanting to take it to another level. I was I was in the gym and Mackers, um, who's the, the high performance coach at the club at the moment, was um, you know we're in the gym training and I said it was probably three quarters away through the year we went playing finals and. I said to him, mate, I, I, I want to take my game to another level. How can I do it? What can I do? Where, where can I go train in the off-season? And that was the moment, um, you know, when it all started to, to change that I wanted to, to get that 1% or 2% more uh, that no one else was doing. I wanted to, to challenge the norm a little bit and, and take it to, to a level that hasn't been done before. And, and, you know, that's when I first went overseas to, to train with, uh, with Austin over there um, in Santa Cruz and, and, and learnt a few things from him, uh, as I said, in, in the body mechanics space. And then 
I was fortunate enough through Red Bull to um, on our first ever summit. Uh, so every every couple of years we have a Red Bull summit where all the athletes uh, come together and um, and uh, we have like a uh, you know a few little seminars and learn different things and. Uh, it's really cool because you get to bounce ideas off each other and learn from other high-profile athletes who are, you know, at the top of their game. And um, you know, at that time, uh, a guy Nam Nam Baldwin um, came in and spoke, who was training Mick uh, and has been training Mick Fanning for for a fair while. And um, he was the one that that really opened my eyes to what uh, you know, breathing and meditation and flow state and and all this really meant. And um, he just caught you know, my attention from his presentation and, and from there we were able to form a connection and, and, and train together and I was able to train with Mick, um, uh, you know, that, that next sort of off-season and, and learn from him a little bit. We were, we were training in the pool, uh, you know, and I went from, you know, catching balls in the pool to swimming underwater, all this sort of stuff, but it was all about bringing my um, attention back to my breath and, and being centred and obviously, you know, surfers, when they're, underwater have to stay super calm and, and it might sound like it's not relevant for, for my sport, but it, it completely is. You know, we, I think that that year previously, we, we just lost uh, a final to West coast. Um, it, w- it went to overtime and, and they kicked a goal after siren. And in the last minute, we made a lot of mistakes. And as a leader during that time, there was a lot of things that I didn't see properly and through, uh, you know, pressures and, and, um, you know, the, the situation of the game, I didn't see as clearly as I would have liked. And, and that's where I wanted to, to delve into that, uh, that side of, of breathing and staying in a flow state where I can see so much more of the game. And so I went and trained with Nam and uh, I went from, you know, being in the pool, sitting underwater, doing a, a breathing exercise and only 20 seconds I was absolutely gassed. I was wanting to come up for air to by the end of it, I, I could sit under underwater for nearly, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes and just be super calm. And that was just through breathing, staying really centered, focusing on the air coming in and coming out. So then I was able to take that into a game, um, you know, whether it be going into what we call, a, you know, a stoppage into a game of footy or after a goal, I can then focus my energy back to my breath and, and come super centered with where I want to be and, and all of a sudden I was seeing the game so much clearer I was I was enjoying the game more I, I was able to communicate with my teammates more and, and, and find more in the game where I could uh, be probably a little bit more in control in a situation where you're not in control if that makes sense um, so that was something that was, was pretty cool to, to work on and, and something that I've continued since and uh, you know trying to, to help my teammates understand that and, and support them in that way as well I think um, it's important for anybody who's not familiar with AFL, what, what Pokey's is talking about here is only sort of 10, 15 seconds break. So it's not like he has a lot of time to, um, to uh, you know, in terms of control breath. It's not like it's two minutes or it's a minute and a half going into a corner kick in soccer or something like that. It, this is only literally 10, 15 seconds um, where he has to, to, to recenter and refocus on his breath. So um, it's a very dynamic collision-based sport. So, it, you know, the ability to do that is is incredible. So give us uh, – I've got a couple of quick more questions uh, before I unleash Brookie on you, mate. Um, how long can you hold your breath for? <laughs> well, after – well, I think it's probably about – Half two minutes is uh, two minutes is probably the longest I've ever done, um, but that sort of takes a while to build up to. Too. Yeah. I can't just go jump in the pool now and or sit in the bath and hold my breath for two minutes. It's a bit of a process to get up to it too, and that's where that uh, yeah the concentration and and focus on just relaxing comes in. And now you've you've obviously had um, uh, a few fitness coaches and strength coaches and sports scientists, which which and physios, which will be the majority of our uh, our audience. Um, can you give me uh, what is the best thing that a uh, you know a member of the performance staff can do for an athlete? Uh, you know what are the behaviours that that you look for in a in a member of the performance? It doesn't have to be a, anything specific between you know Tim O'Leary or Stu Graham or Ian McEwen or or those those great guys you've got with you at the moment. But as a general rule, what what can uh, we do to help people like you? I think the best thing, um, you know, working with athletes uh, that, are, you know, a, a, um, a strength coach or high performance coach or physio can do is, is 
allow the athlete to, to figure things out on their own a little bit too. And I think when, um, you know, whether it's working in the gym or, um, you know, you've got an injury or coming back from an injury, um, to support the athlete in a way that, you know, that educates them um, understanding their body and understanding the movement they're doing uh, rather than just going here, go do this squat, uh, do, you know, three, three reps of eight or, um, you know, your knee hurts here because of that. You know, get the, get the athlete to, to educate themselves um, in the gym or, or coming back for an injury, whatever it is, to, to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. I think, you know, if we, we go do something and we got no purpose with it, you know, it doesn't have the same effect as, you know, if you go do something and there's a purpose to it. Why are we actually doing this? Why am I doing this squat? Where do I feel it? Why are my feet in this position? And little things like that that um, they make the difference. And I think that's, you know, if we can educate athletes um, rather than just, you know, telling them what to do, that's that's where you get the high performance from. And, um, you know, athletes who are the best in the world know why they're doing things and, and understand their body's the best um, and have a purpose behind everything that they do. Yeah, nice. Nice. And last one then, what's the worst thing that people like us can do or the most ineffective thing that people like us can do other than perhaps just say, do this because I said so? What's, uh, you know, what are the things that really grate on, on you and other, other players and athletes? Um, making us run laps, mate, when we don't have to uh, is probably one. <laughs> Sending us to Dubai is probably another. <laughs> um, that, was, that, was, that was actually a good trip. Um, <laughs> No, I think it probably flows into exactly what I um, yep. exactly what I just said, Ben. Um, you know, the worst thing you can do is is disconnect from the athlete and um, and and just give them a program and say, "Go do that. That's my job done." Um, it's it's all about that connection and, and understanding and, and relationship between the athlete. Our knowledge is nowhere near as good as the knowledge of um, you know you guys when we're working in the gym. But the beauty is, okay, I want to know what that what that knowledge is and understand it a lot more. So. That disconnection of okay, here's my, here's, here's the, the job you got to do, go do it. I'm done. Um, you know that's probably the worst thing you can possibly do. Share your knowledge, um, get the athlete to understand why they're doing what they're doing, and, and you'll get a better result from from the athlete. Yeah, great answer, mate. Great answer. Surely the worst thing uh, anyone's ever done to you in that department is uh, make. Hundred hundreds, and you just got off the plane in Dubai in the heat. You just spent a long journey in cattle class, and uh, some fitness guy reckons it's a good idea to run a hundred hundreds in uh, temperatures of thirty-five degrees. That doesn't make a lot know, of sense, does it? I don't know where that idea would even come from. Um, Stra- you know, so strange, a, so bro- strange brain. Hundreds. As soon as <laughs> what, you get what, off the plane from Adelaide to Dubai. What did that teach you? Okay. What did that? Be honest. I, I know you were probably pissed off with me at the time, but what, what do you think? What do you think the reason behind now that you're a more mature? Yeah. Um, so what do you think that taught you? So this if is anything, our second oh, training camp anything. to Dubai, oh, and that was this. This session was actually easier than the one the one the year before. Um, I reckon uh, the one on the yeah, track we did the year before in Dubai. Um, but what it, it, you know, in all honesty, what it did teach me was that your body can handle so much more than you think. Um, you know, we just had a long flight to Dubai and we're thinking, you know, we'll, we'll probably go and have a little training session or whatever. My body can handle that. But to go out there and, and do 100 hundreds, your body can actually handle a lot more uh, than you actually think. And it's your mind that you need to, to get through, um, you know, those sort of sessions. And, and it, it did teach us a lot, mate. So, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> as hard as it was and as crazy as it sounds, 100 hundreds, we, we got through it pretty well. Uh, just as well, Travis. Uh, I, I, you mentioned the, the captaincy and how you you know you adjusted uh, the way you operated when, when you became captain. I'm, I'm curious. There's a lot of controversy about the role of, of captain in a, in, a, in the football codes uh, generally. Uh, obviously, in cricket, you know, you're the tactician. You're doing a lot more. But what about the role of the captain uh, in, in football? And, and what did you learn over your six years as captain of Port? Yeah, I think. Um... The biggest thing that I, that I learnt along the journey, and, and even more so now that I've, I've probably given away the captaincy, is um, to really trust and believe in who you are and, and what you are as a as a person and as a player, as a leader. Um, I think you know at times we can and try and be the perfect leader and, and learn. I mean, it's great to learn from from different leaders, from different people, um, but to really to be a good leader is to be yourself. And um, you know, at times I probably tried to be. 
a leader that I wasn't. You know, there was there was things that um, you know I was I was trying to perfect and and be this great leader to to, to lead my team forward. And, and whether the results weren't going my way, I'd try harder and harder and harder. And it was probably leaning more away from the authentic me as a person. And I think um, you know all leaders in in whether it be sport or business, the most you know, effective leaders, the most authentic, the most vulnerable uh, leaders uh, in that space are the ones that get the best results. And um, I've learned probably post-captaincy that there was a lot that I tried to control, whether it be other players' performance, how they were acting, um, you know, results and things like that, that, you know, I'd, I'd take on board as um, as a leader. It was, you know, it was either my fault or I need to impact this better. But a lot of it was out of my control and, um, you know, I'd try and fix things to, to make it perfect. And the, the best thing you can possibly do is, is be the most authentic person you can be because um, I, th- I, I think we've all got leadership in us. We've, um, you know, we're, I think we, we learn from it from a stage how to, uh, you know, from our parents how to, you know, how to act. And I think, you know, everyone has leadership in them and, and all that is is just being yourself and, and caring for others, impacting others in a way that's most authentic to you and, um, you know, every leader is different. There's not one leader the same. You know, some leaders lead by example. Some leaders are more, um, you know, directive. And, and it's all about being you and authentic as, as a person that, that makes the best leader. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, leadership groups and whether you have a group leadership uh, philosophy or whether you just have a the traditional captain and vice captain. I mean, uh, uh, what, what did you have at Port and what, would you, what do you think is the best uh, structure in, in leadership? Yeah, I think we've we're, we're probably um, we've gone from one extreme to the other at times, and we've we've uh, I think we've had maybe eight in a leadership group at one stage when I was captain, which was um, which was way too much. Um, when you have a, a leadership group of, of eight, there's just so many different opinions and ideas coming through, and you've you've got your eight leaders, but then you've got your you know your senior coach who will come into a leadership meeting. Um, the, the, there's a there's a coach running the leadership meeting, so there's a lot of people in there, a lot of different ideas, and it, it, it can. One, it'll go way too long. Uh, and Berger, you've probably been in a few that have yep. gone, you know, way over time. You can sit in there for an hour and a half, two hours, and, and you could have been done in 15 minutes. Um, you know, there's 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 that aspect of it too. And then we've gone to the other end where there's just, you know, the captain and the coach, and and then you've got no, you know, that the, the, that captain might be, you know, a set person and and have ideas on just one way to do things where there could be a, a different way to go down. You know, we're, we're managing 40 odd different players. 40 different personalities how you know how can you get a, a gauge on that if you just you know down one one lane as a as a leader and that's the only way you can see it so i think we've got it pretty well at the moment we've we've got a captain uh a vice captain and a deputy vice so there's three and which is which is i think is about perfect so it's still a leadership group um but it's it's a small number and you've you've got uh you know three different personalities in, in there for us so we've got tom jonas who's a real a directive, um, you know, super blunt. This is how I see it. This is the way I want to go, but but still has that caring side. Uh, Ollie Wine, super caring, um, you know, really good, uh, has really good empathy and understanding for different people. And, and Hamish is, is probably a combination of the both. So um, I think, you know, for us, that's a, it's a, it's a um, three has been a, a great change. And I think that's the, the great method for us. And, and that's managing 44, I think it's 44, 45 different personalities in the list. And, um, you know, with not having too many, you don't have too many ideas, but you've got enough to then, okay, what about this option? Uh, what about this option? You're not, you're not in there for two hours making a decision, but you've got, um, you've got some support from, you know, a couple other leaders. So I think leadership groups are still, still relevant, uh, but I don't think they need to be too. And what sort of things discussed in those leadership group meetings? Those who uh, have been fortunate enough not to have to uh, sit through them uh, too often, I Berjo. <laughs> Oh, look, I'll let Bikey yeah, answer that. <laughs> well, we've had some tricky ones. You know, hopefully there's uh, the guys haven't been out on the weekend and done anything bad. So there's uh, there could be there could be that discussion after a weekend uh, on the beers, uh, which is not always great. But uh, you know, in season uh, discussions usually are around you know what happened in the game. You know, what could have been better in the game. Uh, how 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 were we? You know, during the breaks little things like that so dissecting the game a little bit uh the coaches will watch most of the vision and 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 bring some vision in on how we sort of played and and the leaders will then discuss the mood of the group okay what was it like pre-game um you know how was the feeling during uh during the game when you know we 
they kicked the three goals. You know, how were we as a group? Were you still connected? How can we improve then for this weekend? So it's little things like that, dissecting on what we can, um, what went well and what, what can go better for this next week. So uh, pre-season's more about, okay, culture stuff. You know, what do we want to set up for this year as a group? Setting the standard as a group and, and really building that culture on, um, you know, who we want to be and, and what we want to be and, and why. So it, it sort of changes from in-season and pre-season a little bit where it's it's more more game scenario stuff and, and how everyone's doing in season, you know, because we've got 45 players and especially this year, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys not playing, you know, we've got to, okay, well, how are these guys doing? How can we fit them back into the group and stay connected as a group and, and really connect what we set up in, in pre-season uh, as a culture to what we're doing now? How's it still, how's it still flowing? So um, yeah, they can, uh, uh, they can go for a little while, but um, yeah, they, they sort of get a bit, uh, a bit irrelevant almost after an hour or so. You're sort of talking about the same thing. I'll put you on the spot. What was the most difficult thing you had to deal with as captain? Um, I think the, the most difficult thing, um, I won't say one scenario, but the, the, um, the difficult conversation. So, you know, we've, during my time, we had a few, uh, a few hiccups off the field, um, you know, with players, uh, whether it be, you know, most of the stuff was through drinking and, and uh, that was probably the hardest thing to deal with was, was drinking and how do we manage that through the playing group? You know, we don't want to set set rules uh, because that can be the worst thing. You know, players are almost like in, in school. Okay, you've got to do this and this is when you've got to do it and this is how much you can do. Um, you, you know, you want to give players freedom to be who they want to be, but there's also um, guidelines to, to fit into the culture, right? And, um, you know, we, we've had a few... Uh, scenarios happen during the during my time as captain to, to then have that difficult conversation with that player. Um, look, you've let the team down. This is what you've done. Um, you know we're going to have to you know punish you in a sort of way to 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 show that um, you know you can't go outside of these guidelines. And, and those scenarios are generally the hardest to, to deal with because you're so you know you're so connected with your teammates and you know that. They, they're sort of giving their all for the team, but then, you know, they make one mistake or they've gone out and, and done something silly that you've then got to have that really difficult conversation. And that's, but that's growth. That's, um, you know, that's leadership right there and, 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 and being vulnerable and having that conversation. And um, that builds connection within the group. That builds, builds connection with that player. And, and then hopefully, um, you know, they understand what they've done and, um, and can move forward with it and be a better person, a better player for it. But those, those conversations are crucial. They're the most hardest things to have the difficult conversations, but they're the ones that make you a better leader and, and create a better environment as well. And did you get better at those difficult conversations, do you think, as time went on? Oh, I think so. Uh, I think I did. They were, you know, me personally as the leader I was, they were, they were probably, you know, if I was to say what are my strengths and what's my weaknesses, that was probably the weakness uh, for me was to, to have those difficult conversations. I, um, you know, I'm a, probably a, a caring type of guy that, you know, I really love you know, my teammates and, and, and who they are as people. And I, I see the side of it, you know, people make mistakes and, and you know, that, that's, part of, that's part of life. And we've got a lot of young guys as well. And it's, it, you know, I always see the best in them and, and it's really hard to have that conversation. So that was probably one area of, of my leadership that, you know, was, was a weakness for me. And I, I try to grow on that as much as I could during the time. And I think, you know, by the end, I was a lot better at it. Uh, and what I've, probably understood now post-captaincy is you know the vulnerability and, and authenticity as a person um you know it's probably now easier to have those conversations because um you know i've got to open up as well just by having having that conversation i don't need to to be perfect and say hey i'm on this level you're here you made that mistake you know that's not the kind of dialogue you want to have it's got to be a, you know what we call a sort of horizontal relationship um where you know we're on the same level here um you know i understand that you know, this might have happened, but this is where we're at, uh, and um, this is where I need you to be uh, going forward, and, and really open up. Uh, you know, that dialogue as as a leader, and that's yeah, it's something that I uh, continue to work on through my, my time as captain, and, and now hopefully a lot better. You know, post post captaincy, and whenever or whatever I go into, whether it be a you know business or, or whatever, that you know I've learnt a lot from from that. And just well, last one from me. The... Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, Brookie, um, while we're on that. You, you've travelled enough in the off season and and visited enough, you know, NBA, NFL uh, clubs and seen that. You now, some of the the people working in those sports that may or may not be listening to this 
uh, and certainly the Premier League, uh, would be saying, what a crock of shit. Just let them play. Just let them, um, you know, make mistakes and talent will always shine through. And, you know, I know leadership groups have tried to occur in a few different codes and and very, um, very unsuccessfully. You know, if you think of our visit to the Seahawks, uh, Boki, and, and what we saw over there and, and just things like that. How do you reckon that model works compared to, or that model has been successful compared to the model that, that you're talking about where it's a really player-driven sort of model of culture? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's different different cultures, I guess. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, whether it's American sport or your Europe sport, um, you know, compared to, to what we what we do in the AFL and... Um, I think it sort of comes down to that a lot, and you know, with with the with our sport and, and how we sort of go about it in terms of creating the culture we want, it needs to be player driven. Um, you know, there that's what's got the best results in in, in our code, and um, we look at the the sides who have probably dominated over the last little period. You know, the Hawthorns, the Geelongs, uh, even Richmond now. Um, you know. What they've been able to do is 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 have that culture of, of players driving the standard. If if um, you know, and I think within within our sport, you can't win on talent. You can't win on talent alone. You can't win um, just on coaching alone. You need a because there's you know 22 players uh, within a within a team and, and 18 players on the field, and coaching really has no say. Uh, come game day, there's no. They are completely out of control. All they do is set up during the week, pre-season. Come game day, there is no coaching relevant, basically at all, other than to give you a bit of a rev up. Um, it is all it is all player driven on game day because um, you know we're, we're out there for two hours. We have no timeouts, no breaks during during play. We don't have coaches making calls on on certain plays. It is all player decisions, and that's where. I think that differs a lot too in, in the sports that, um, you know, on game day, it's, it's players making the decisions. Uh, so it has to be then the culture and, and how you play has to be driven by the players. You know, our coaches are there watching vision, telling us how to, um, you know, how we want to play and, and what's our game style, uh, you know, during preseason and during the week. Okay, we understand how we want to play. Now we have to go execute it. So we have to make the decisions on game day. Uh, so the players then have to, to drive everything. Um, and that's where, you know, how we behave, uh, who we want to be known as and why, all comes down to the players because at the end of the day, we're the ones in control of, of the wins and losses. And, yeah, that's um, a great distinction. You know, and, and that's that's where it probably differs a lot. There's there's yeah, there's no real coaching done in a, in a sense on, on, on game day. It all comes down to the players. Mm. Yeah, try to that to Ken Hinckley when he's swearing at yeah. me down the, yeah. the phone, mate. <laughs> that, so, that's the uh, exact reason why he's swearing, because he's in no control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's frustrated. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Travis, I just wanted to ask you just one last thing about longevity as, as a player. I mean, you're 32 now, I think. Uh, yep. You've played, what, your 14th season, something like that. Um, generally, you know, it's quite... Fairly unusual for uh, for AFL players to go much beyond 32. Uh, there's the odd exception that uh, Sean Burgoyne and people like that. But you know, it's really only a half a dozen people in the in the league at the moment who are you know sort of 30 over 33, 34. Uh, what do you see as uh, as your sort of future? And, and what have you done? And do you think the things that you've done, you know, that we talked about earlier on, have uh, have allowed you to have a longer career? And, and what do you do to try and prolong that career as long as you can? Because at the moment, you know, I, I'm no expert, but everyone says that you know, you're playing as well as you've ever played in your career. Yeah. And I think, you know, in our, in our you know, game and industry that, you know, post 30 uh, players decline. And, um, you know, I, I sort of heard that and saw that and and probably in my own mind said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna buck that trend a little bit. I want to make my best footy post thirty, and it was sort of a bit of a, a motivation for me to, to to make that change. And, and I mean, you look at guys like you know Pendlebury, still at the top of his game. He's he's thirty two, and he's a season above me. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of players in in that bracket that you know are starting to buck the trend, and it, it all comes down to to the mind, really. I think your body will will follow with that. I think if you do the work. Um, you can 
you can um, play as, as basically as long as you want. The way I see it, I, right now I feel like I'm 25, and um, I feel that, that that's all come down to the way I prepare, the, the you know what I want to get out of my body, and um, you know the, the way I sort of see it is I just want to sque- squeeze every bit of juice um, out of the orange, and that's the way that you know I sort of look at it. So my week consists of preparation. You know, every day is is crucial to my preparation for my game, and um, you know, whether that's sleep, nutrition, uh, recovery, I want to do every everything I can to possibly be the best shape I can be. I, I don't care how old I am. Um, and, you know, for, for me, I don't even think about my age at all. I just, I believe that, you know, if I do the right things and prepare as well as I can be, I can be the best player out there on the field, no matter what, what age I am. And, um, you know, that, that sort of takes care of itself. And I think, um, you know, if you've got that mindset, I think your body follows, but you've got to do the work to put in as well. And um, I love that. I love the process of that. I love trying to get the best out of myself. It's not, um, oh, I'm 30 now, okay, I can, I, I've just got to try and hold on. And, uh, you know, I'm still trying to win time trials, but, you know, yeah. at training, like little things like that, that, you know, just to get everything I possibly can out of my body while I still love it. And if, if you enjoy the process, if you love the process, um, I, I find that, you know, your, your body tends to relax a lot more and, and you let go of the outcome, let go of the result. Okay, I, I, I want to play at this high level. I want to have, you know, so many touches, kick so many goals during the game. Let go of all that and just focus on that process of what I can do, enjoy what I, I love doing um, and, and let the rest take care of itself. I think, you know, no matter what age you are, you, you, you can still perform at a high level, um, you know, within our sport. And I, right now, you know, I, I want to play for another five years and um, that's just that's just the way, you know, I'm sort of, I uh, look at it at the moment and, and I just want to get everything out of my body uh, to a point where, you know, I'll know that I can't go any further. And, and right now I still feel like I've got a lot, lot left to give and, you know, my best foot is still ahead of me. And, um, you know, that's that's the mindset I have. And, and I think, you know, that's what comes first and, and the body will follow. I'll probably give um, give the listeners a bit of an um, insight into Bokey. And, Brookie, you're going to cringe at this. Um, uh, but... Uh, uh, I would estimate um, certainly last year uh, Bokey would do you know, 12, 13 kilometres on a game day and probably uh, up, up to and over 2,000 metres of high speed running and sprint running, sprint running being over 2K and a for the for the guys that, um, that are interested in that sort of stuff. But I want to take the the reason why I give it that context, Bokey, is you've done a lot of things in your career, but one moment stands out for me, and I just wouldn't mind your comment. I think I know what you're going to answer, but it was 2015. It was the last round. We weren't going to make the finals. You, you probably don't even remember this, but I remember it. Uh, it was a useless game or a nothing game against uh, Fremantle at Adelaide Oval, and you'd hurt your hammy the week before. Um, yeah. And... Me and the uh, Dr. Mark Fisher, your, your doctor, um, we scanned and we, we had a look at the result and there was a uh, in between a grade one and a grade two hammy um, that was that was there. Um, but you were just, no, I'm playing, I'm playing. It, it, it was a game that didn't matter because we couldn't make the finals. Um, well, I think we were sitting in about 11th or 12th spot. It was a disappointing year. Um, and you you went out and ran, uh, and I think you knew that you'd done something, but you didn't know how severe it was. And you went out and and kept to those running names in that in that game. I think you even got two Brownlow votes, uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, give me your your mindset. Is that is that mind over body there? Because you know, as soon as, as soon as we see those scans we sort of freak a bit and worry about the, the damage and Medico legally and, and a whole range of issues. And Brookie's probably cringing right now saying, can we edit this out? <laughs> um, but what, yeah, what are your thought process there? Cause uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to do, deal with a few players who have a similar mindset to yours in that scenario. Um, but you just played through it. Yeah. Well, it's, I do remember, I can't remember, uh, um, you know how how bad it was, or the scan. Um, but I do remember it being a little bit sore. But I think, 
um, you know, in that instance and, and even different instances, whether it's been my knee or, or whatever it is, um, it's sort of, I don't know, adrenaline takes over. It's just like, okay, there's a little bit of pain there, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm just going to go out and, and do, you know, the best I can. And um, I think, you know, before that game, um, you guys said, I, I, I'll be right. I won't do any more damage. And, and as soon as you said that, I was like, okay, sweet. I don't, give a, I don't, I don't care if it hurts or whatever. Um, I'm just going to go out and play. Um, so there was there was a bit of that as well, but but also, um, you know, once you once you sort of go out there and, and you've done you've done all this preparation, you've you've set yourself up to, to go out there and play, um, and knowing that you know, okay, I can't do any more damage. I know it's going to hurt, um, but I can still go out there and perform because I've done all all the work that I possibly can. And um, you know, that was sort of I guess my mindset during that time. And whenever I do have a bit of pain. Um, that, uh, you know, I can still just go out there and play. Um, and, and I guess that the pain sort of goes away. So I guess that is a, a sort of mind, a mind thing that, you know, once you start focusing on the game, the performance and, and, and going out there and, and doing what you can, you, your mind goes away from what's actually hurting. Uh, you know, it might hurt post-game, but, but um, you know, during that moment of playing, you, you're just so focused on, on going out there and performing that, you know, your mind goes away from, from your body and, uh, and, and onto you know the, the process of, of playing. So I guess it was mind over body. But um, yeah, you sort of said I was I was going to be okay. So I was I was I was fine after the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really important that you added that last bit in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people don't think we're being too cavalier. No, not at all. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And what um. Uh, in terms of uh, your knee and, and probably early on in your career, your back, um, in, in terms of that was in your junior career, you had some back issues because of your cricket? Yep, yep, yep. Your cricket background. Um, what uh, I know, for instance, when you're building your $17 million mansion uh, down there in um, in Somerton Park, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you made some allowances for different... Um, you know, remodalities and saunas and things like that. I, I don't know if you want to talk about that sort of stuff, but I, I think it's important that people know the lengths that you, you've gone to to, um, you know, to ensure it's not, we're not talking about LeBron James and people who've spent millions and millions on their body because it's all relative. Yeah. Um, but is there a routine where you know that uh, match day minus two, match day minus one, one, I do this, I do this, I know that I'm ready to go? Yeah, I do, mate. And it's, um, I think, you know, during my whole career, I've probably had a little bit of OCD and I think most athletes would. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, so I'll run you through my, basically my process of, of how a week looks out. And, I, you know, if we plan on a Saturday, you know, I'll start preparing from the weekend's game before. So the next day, um, you know, it's all about recovery and I'll, I'll have a book that I write in at the start of the week to, to prepare my whole week and um, I focus on three areas, my mind, my body and my craft. They're the things that I write down at the start of the week. Okay, what do I want to do in those three spaces to, to make sure I'm physically and mentally prepared to take on the next game, right? And, um, you know, for me, uh, with my body, you know, what I've learnt and I think it's important to try different things I, you know some things work for me some things I don't feel work as much you know cryo might work for some people I don't find it it works as much for me I prefer you know a sauna or an ice bath um, so for me you know my body I write down okay I want to I want to be in the ocean this week I've got to do a certain amount of ice baths um, I've, I've installed a sauna at my house I find that you know the infrared saunas have, have been amazing for my recovery um, I've, I've installed one of those in my house so I, I need to do one of those um, I do Epsom salt baths. I'm in, in my recovery boots, uh, the Normatec recovery boots. So there's there's probably six or seven things. I get massages three times a week. Um, so I have about seven things that I want to tick off, you know, multiple times during that lead up to, to set my body up as well as it possibly can be for the game recovery wise. So that's that's the body part of it. Uh, my mind part of it, uh, I, I want to I want to meditate, you know, every day uh, during that during the week to to have my mind ready and in a flow state ready for the game. Uh, we also have a, a, a visualization coach at the club. So I'll do a couple of sessions with him that I want to tick off. Um, 
you know, so I've got those kind of things set up for, for my um, for my mind that I want to achieve during that week. So they're, they're almost little process goals that I want to have ticked off by, by the game. Uh, and the craft side of it is obviously with training. Um, and sometimes it might be, okay, during the game last week, you know, my skills weren't as good. What can I do to a little bit more into that aspect, whether it be, um, you know, we call handballing, uh, you know, or kicking or some some bodywork craft that I wanted to, to get right. So I'll add that into my training session that I want to get off during the week. And uh, as the week goes by, I, I sort of tick those boxes and, um, and, and, and and mentally I'm okay, I'm preparing, I'm getting that done, I'm getting that done. Um, and it comes to, you know, the night before the game where um, I review what I've done during that week and I've got a page in my book where I, um, I call over-prepared. So I'm over-preparing myself more than anyone else. Uh, and I'll write down, you know, how my week's been achieved during the week and look back at what I've done during the week. So then, um, you know, the night before a game, I can, you know, almost put my head on on the pillow and go, well, okay, I've achieved all that this week. My mind's good. My body's good. Uh, I've done all the work I possibly can. I can go into the game tomorrow uh, with my, you know, I have three little focuses on the game and, and one of them's, you know, my, my work rate, um, trying to be as calm as I can and, and being... Uh, you know, strong over the ball. So I've got three things that I focus on during the game. But I go to bed that night reviewing my whole week, knowing that I've done everything I possibly can to prepare myself in a way that, um, you know, that I can go out there and and be the you know best person on the ground that I know I can be and, and let the rest take care of itself. I can just go out there and play. So um, I'm pretty, pretty yeah, OCD in that way that I need, you know, that I that, yep. that works well for me that I, I just want to prepare as best I can. And that's that's part of the, you know, getting everything out of myself. You know, that's that's how I see it. And, uh, you know, preparing myself in a way that uh, there's no more I can possibly do to, to be the best version of myself. And that's sort of how I view it. And, um, you know, I enjoy that process. That's I think that's the beauty of it is you have to enjoy it. And I love doing it. It's it's. You know, the results are great and, you know, they they bring happiness, but the process is what brings, um, you know, a lot of joy to me and, and, and knowing that I'm doing everything I possibly can and that's what I'm proud of mostly. And I guess, you know, part of that now is, is trying to share that to the younger guys and I didn't learn this until I was, you know, as I said, probably 25, 26 and we've got young guys, 20, 21, who just want to get better, but they... You know, they've got guys hopefully now that they can learn off at that age and they can be, you know, as best they can be at a young age and learning all this stuff at a young age. So that's what part of, you know, the main reason why I do it is to get, you know, a lot out of myself but also then try and inspire others to do the same thing and get the best out of themselves. Yeah, it's, um, we can talk as high-performance staff, medical staff and, but, but having a role model like yourself is uh, is better than any of that. Uh, last quick one for me, mate, because we've kept you uh, uh, 50 minutes now. Uh, what happens if, for example, you only have a four-day break or, um, you know, in your routine, which, um, you know, I've had a bit of exposure to, um, someone comes in and says, no, we're going to travel on the day of the game or... Um, some know-it-all fitness coach comes in and says, no, you should be doing float tanks or something like that, which disrupts your routine and your normal yeah. routine. How, how does your sort of day handle that? You know what? Probably three years ago, I would have got angry and frustrated and, and, and got angry at the person telling <laughs> me what we're doing um, because I wanted things to be a certain way. Um, and I, that's, that's probably, you know, what I've just explained then. Um, part of of uh, you know, letting go and the process of all that is acceptance and acceptance of of what actually is and what you can't control. And um, you know, this has been the most crazy year, sport-wise and, and living-wise, and for everyone going through this, um, you know, this this pandemic. That there's so many things outside of our control, and the only way we can get through it is accept, right? So. Um, if we've got a four-day break and, and you're telling me we're getting up at 4.30 in the morning, which we did two weeks in a row, <clears throat> um, you know, three years ago, I said, no bloody way, I'm doing that. But it's, it is what it is. I've got to accept it, okay? And, okay, we're getting up at 4.30. I accept that. What can I do that's in my control to prepare myself best for that, that period, whether it be a four-day break, an early start, uh, same-day travel, which we're not used to, 
all these things that they just are what they are. It's, it's, you know, I've got no, no, no control over any of them at all. Um, it's just being able to accept um, the, the situation or the scenario, whatever presents to then adjust to, to what, you know, you, you, you can do and what is in your control. And, and that way, you know, you're not fr- frustrated. You're not getting angry. You're not, you're not getting all these emotions that, that will, um, you know, inhibit your performance or preparation and you, your focus and, and all that to, to things outside of your control. But once you accept it, you can then set a plan on what, uh, on what you can do and, and still prepare as best you can. And, um, you know, there's, there's other people that are in the same situation. Okay, so it is what it is. How can I best prepare myself for this, this upcoming scenario? And, you know, whether it's for, for people... Uh, that are injured, okay, I've got to accept that I can't fight it. I wish I had done that. I wish I hadn't done that. Um, you know, it's about accepting it. Okay, go forward. What's the plan? How can I adjust? How can I change? How can I, um, you know, improve myself now? And I think that's that's probably the key to it all, mate. And I think, you know, you can have a plan and, and set out to to have things a certain way, but there's it's not going to go the, the exact same way that you want it. It's very similar in performance. You know, you set up, I set up that whole process of, um, you know, trying to get my preparation right. I'll come out on game day and, and anything could happen. Uh, and you've just got to be able to accept that and, and, and move with it. And the best you accept and adjust, then, you know, you get you can still get the best out of it. So I think that's the most important thing to it. Yeah, Travis has been, you've given us some fantastic yeah, insights. I think any... Uh, any young sports person of any type and any performance uh, involved in the performance area will learn a lot from uh, from what you've uh, what you've given us today. We really appreciate your time. I know uh, where you presumably you schedule us in in your uh, weekly program. Did you? Oh, we're very privileged that uh, we snuck in there between the sauna and the uh, and the ice bath. Uh, <laughs> I got the day off today, so I snuck this in. <laughs> okay, now we really appreciate it, uh, Travis. I know wow. you're busy. We wish you all the best for the the rest of the season, and hopefully uh, you can. Uh, um, play there on uh, on grand final day and uh, have a successful. Uh, unlike your previous uh, grand final when Darren Burgess was at the club, he'll <laughs> probably do a lot better this time. Hey, hey, well, that'd hey, be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Pokey. Appreciate it, mate. Never, never.